in a world where heroes reign supreme. Even the heroes need help. Robin, I need your help. What is it, Batman? I need you to fold my laundry. I can do that. Thanks, man. Never realized how difficult it would be out in the dark all the time. Dude, I think I messed up the bathroom again. On if it. it weren't for the sidekicks, ah! the heroes wouldn't know what to do. Batman, what is it? She dumped me! Oh no, Batman. Robin, she found out I don't have any real powers. I'm giving you a hug through the phone, buddy. Thanks, man. I did that. They may not get to be the hero, but who said they asked to be? Cornerstone, what's going on? Good to see you guys. Come on. Oh, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Scott, and uh, I just want to take a moment and welcome everyone at the Santan location, as well as all you folks in Scottsdale, at Cornerstone Scottsdale, everybody joining us online at cornerstoneonline.com, all of you guys at the 5 o'clock service right here in Chandler, and everybody in the overflow room right back here in Chandler. Let's give it up. Come on, one family, one church, many locations. So glad to have y'all here today. Uh, if it's your first time here at Cornerstone, it's just a privilege for us to, to welcome you, and uh, we pray that you have a great experience today. If you don't, it's a money-back guarantee. You can cover charges, refund it to you as you leave. But this man, thanks for taking time out of your day to come on out. And if someone invited you here today and it's your first time, and maybe they bribed you by promising you lunch or something like that, make them pay. Make them take you out. Get something, go top shelf. We're talking like, you know, in and out or something like that. We're going all the way and uh, make them follow through on this thing. So we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, I'm gonna ask you all that at, at every, every campus, if you could, let's stand together because we're gonna pray. Uh, if you could, let's, let's stand up. Thank you. And um, you know, it's been an interesting summer. It's been a tough summer. Uh, I've had the opportunity to speak at a number of, of different churches this summer and I developed a habit that I don't like. And it's every Sunday before I head off to the church and, and get ready to do this thing, I check the news to see what we have to talk about before we talk about what we planned on talking about. And um, here we go again, right? Uh, we're going to pray for uh, the, the folks in Nice with that tragedy. We're going to pray for the folks in, in Baton Rouge with a few officers losing their life this morning, if you didn't hear that news. Um, that sucks. There's never been a greater time. I said this last week. I'll just keep on saying it. There's never been a greater time to be the church of Jesus Christ. There's never been a time where we are more needed, where the power of God is more needed, where the message of Jesus and the hope and, and the courage and the faith and the forgiveness that comes through the message of Jesus. In my lifetime, I can't look back and say where it's ever been as needed. It's always needed, but you get what I'm saying? Now we've got to live this thing. And I think praying together like this is one step. And thank you, by the way. It's, I love the passion. We've got to be that way. So uh, Santana Scottsdale, let's all just pray together. Father God, we, we humble ourselves right now, God. And God, we ask that, um, that you would forgive us of anything in our life that is contrary to what you want to do, God. Forgive us for uh, a cold heart and a heart that's not submissive to your will. 
And God, we pray for, uh, for our nation that you would do the same and forgive us as a nation, God, as we humble ourselves before you. God, we consider it a privilege right now to pray for our brothers and sisters, fellow human beings in Nice that are grieving the results of this tragedy this week. God, we pray that, we pray that you'd heal the broken hearts of the families. We pray that the message of Jesus would now have a great platform to be, uh, to be communicated and taught and spread and shared all throughout that community, Lord. We pray for the church in Nice that you would empower your church to be salt and light in a dark time. And God, we pray for our country as well. God, for, for the families of the officers who lost their life um, just in the last 24 hours, God, we pray for comfort for them as well and for the same that the message of Christ would, would break through in this season of grieving. Lord, we pray that you give uh, our leaders wisdom and we pray for uh, those men and women who serve and protect our communities, God, for our police officers, that you would protect them and you'd give them wisdom. And God, we're gonna go out on a limb here and we're gonna pray for perpetrators, God, that you would capture their hearts before they take action and that you would stop this stuff and that through it all we would realize evil is real but Jesus can conquer all. So we put our trust in you and our faith in you and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And if you agree, you can say amen. amen. Shake a few hands, come on. Say hi to somebody again before you sit down, before we get rolling here, come on. So uh, Scottsdale Santan, man, you guys have been with us. Well, I mean, we're, we're in this series called Sidekicks. Everybody say sidekicks. And uh, what we've been doing is we're just having a lot of fun with this theme, but we're having some pretty important conversations with it. And the whole idea is that we realize that a sidekick's purpose is to serve their superhero. And I love how Aaron, a Scottsdale campus pastor, said a couple weeks ago, he said, very few of us, if any of us will ever be the superhero in the world, but we're all called of God to be a sidekick. And when we think biblically and theologically, there's really only one true superhero that's come to save the world and actually has accomplished and is accomplishing the job. That's Jesus, the risen Son of God. And so our goal and our calling in life as followers of Jesus is to be a sidekick, to serve him and his purposes in this world. So what we're doing is we're asking some big questions. And we're asking the question of how can God use you and I to make a difference in the world? So to learn a little bit of what that looks like, we've been digging into Scripture and analyzing the life of some lesser-known people in the Bible whom God used to do some really big things in the world in their time. And so on week one, we basically, we, we threw out that question, is how do I, how, how, how does God want to use me to make a difference in the world? And we looked at the life of Esther, a, a woman of God whom God used greatly, and we realized that sometimes God will expose us to a need when he's recruiting us to be part of the solution. We basically talked about, well, God wants to use us. How do we do that? Well, go find a need and fill it. Go find a hurt and heal it and get after it and go do it and see what God does. And then in the second week of our series, Aaron, our Scottsdale campus pastor, really encouraged us as we looked at the life of Barnabas, and he said, hey, if we're going to be used by God to make a difference in the world, we're going to have to take some necessary risks. And in addition to that, we're going to have to be someone who encourages those around us. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine trying to make a difference 
in your sphere of influence, but be someone who's always discouraging those around you. It's not going to go very far, is it? So being an encouraging person is a big piece of how God wants to use us. And then last week, we, we threw out the question, what would you do if you were certain God was on your side? And we unpacked the life of Joshua in the Old Testament. And we realized that if we're going to make a difference in this world, we're going to have to be a lot like Joshua. and We're going to have to have a different attitude. And the attitude that Joshua has taught us was let's not look at God through our circumstances because then we just live in fear. But let's look, let's look at our circumstances through God and who he is. And that, that gives us faith and courage to step out. And we also discuss the reality of that if we're going to do this, God's word has to be an everyday part of our lives. It has to be a priority. When God told Joshua, be strong and have good courage. Study this word day and night, he says in Joshua 1, verse 6 through 8. Next week, we're going to wrap this up. We saved the best for last for next week. Pastor Lynn's going to be here teaching and wrapping up this series. But today, we're just stuck with me. So everybody look at someone next to you and say, sorry, man, I thought Lynn was here today. You can do that. Uh, so today, uh, here's, what's been happening is in this, I've heard so much feedback, e even today some great feedback about this, this series has kind of taken on a life of its own. It's kind of become a manifesto of how to make a difference in the world. And a lot of us are just really motivated and inspired to really just kind of storm hell with a water pistol. And let's go, let's get after it. And because of that, I feel a sense of responsibility to have today's conversation. Because if you're going to storm hell with a water pistol, you're going to have some challenges. And what I want to do is, is not only inspire you, but I want to inform you of what that might look like and how do you anticipate challenges so that we can stay in this thing for the long haul. Now, speaking of long haul, how many of you uh, at, at all the campuses, raise your hand if you've been a follower of Jesus, you've been a Christian for 20 or more years. Raise your hand up really high. Okay. Wow, this is like the, the, the old group here. I don't know what it's like at the other locations, but my good, you guys all walked with Jesus on the earth, right? How many of you guys were, it's say, around 10 years, a little more than that, around 10 years, I've been following Christ for about a decade. Okay, a bunch of you. How many of you would say um, five years or less? Some of you, yeah, oh man, a whole bunch of you. Anybody would say a year or less, I've been, I've been following Jesus, yeah. A few. That's so, so cool. And if you're someone who'd say, man, not me, I, I'm not what you would consider a Christian, person of faith, however you want to say it. I think this is a great conversation for you to be a part of because you're going to kind of hear a little bit about how those of us who follow Christ think and how we approach life. So this is a perfect place to be right now as well. So if you've been around a long time, you've probably heard what I call Christian cliches. Anybody ever heard of the cliche stuff? I'm not a big fan of cliches, even though I, I do respect them because I think the intent is to try to synthesize some biblical truth into a soundbite. But often, in my opinion, the cliches are, are either completely false or half-truths, uh, but they tend to break down in the real world when you try to live this stuff out. Here's, here, here, here's a few of them. Um, let me give you one. Um, okay, God, well, let, me, let, me, let me read this one because this is the one that's really, oh yeah, here it is. Why would I not forget, remember this? God won't give you more than you can handle. Really? Someone just tell the truth. Come on. 
I think what often happens is we get that confused with a scripture that says God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But I guarantee you, if you want to make a difference in this world, God is going to give you more than you can handle. You want to know why? Because you can't do it by yourself. You need him to make it happen. He will give you more than you can handle. So just own it. Just call it what it is. Here's another one. This is, I don't like this one, but it's, you know, it's all, we all have our own opinion. But here it is. Let go and let God. What does that mean, people? Let go and let go. Let go of what? Let, what does that mean? If I'm walking through a tough time in life, man, I'm pouring out my heart and you're just kind of like, well, let go and let God, brother. I'm like, shut your face. I don't even know what you're saying here. What is that? My goodness. Um, here, here's another one. Oh, yeah. When God closes one door, well, thank you, God, for slamming a door in my face and breaking my nose, right? They're, 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 yeah, there's truth there, but they kind of break down in the real world. Here's another one that, um, that is kind of uh, old school, but this is, here it is. Um, God is good all the time. Now, in fact, for those of you maybe 10 years plus, 20 years plus, maybe you were part of a church or in church when you, we used to do that kind of thing, kind of like a, a call and response. So I'd get up here and I'd say, God is good, and you would all say, all the time. And then I would say, and all the time, and you'd say, God is good. Okay, let's try this. Let's go back to the 80s for a minute, okay? <laughs> Scottsdale, Santana, you with me? Okay, God is good. All the time. And all the time. Do you believe it? I mean, do you really believe it? I do. I believe it with every part of my being that God is good all the time. And if we're going to allow God to use us to make a difference in the world, we're going to have to come back to that truth and remind ourselves of that quite often. Because making a difference is not easy. Charging hell with a water pistol. You are going to get your eyebrows burnt off your first step into it. I guarantee it. So today, we're going to look at someone's life who, well, let's just go there. We're going to look at John the Baptist. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 11. And in Matthew 11, what's really interesting is that Jesus says something about John the Baptist, who really, John the Baptist was in keeping with theme for the series. He was a sidekick for Jesus. He was there to serve Jesus in every possible way. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Are you guys there? Okay, one is. Here we go. Matthew 11, verse 11. Santan, here's what it says. This is Jesus talking about John. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Now we'll just stop. There's more that he says, but we're just going to stop right there in this. Think of that. Jesus is saying up until that point in time, there's never been a human being on the face of the earth who's been greater than John the Baptist. That should get our attention. I think we have a lot to learn from this guy. None greater is what Jesus said. So here's, here's kind of what John was though. John was a rowdy dude. He was a prophet sent by God to prepare the way for the Messiah to prepare the way for Jesus to come on the scene of the they were they were uh, cousins basically contemporaries and so John is this this rowdy prophet he's a truth teller 
And I don't know if you found this out, but telling the truth doesn't really get you uh, a whole lot of endearment towards you at times. He was a disruptor. He disrupted the norm, and he told the truth, and he was polarizing. The dude was a radical. The Bible says he kind of lived in the wilderness, and he didn't care about popularity. He wasn't, didn't have any political stature. He didn't have any political power. He dressed really kind of weird. And the Bible says that every now and then he even ate bugs. He's like a Tim Beal kind of guy. He's a rowdy kind of guy. And so what happens is he comes on the scene and he has one message, one message that is so clear and so convicting that people flocked to hear him. Let's take a look and go to your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, here's what it says, uh, verse 1 and 2. And if you don't have a Bible, the, the scriptures will be on the screen for you. But I always encourage you, man, if you have a Bible, bring it with you. Maybe it's a mobile device or paper. Man, just engage in God's Word. Get in it for yourself. Matthew 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's it. That was his message. Repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven was near. And people flocked to hear this guy. They were flocking to hear him. I think, one, it was, a, it was a sovereign move of God. And the other piece of it is, just the message about how to get right with God is a very appealing message. Be it a, a, a non-religious person or not even a person of faith, just, wow, there, there's a way to be right with God. There's a way to be right with my maker so that when I step out of this life and into eternity, I know I have peace with him. That's a really compelling message to hear. And people were flocking. And what John would do is he would say, all right, I want you to prove your decision publicly. And he'd call them out right on the spot and say, hey, if you're going to live this thing, you're going to get baptized right now. So he would dunk them underwater as an outward expression of an inward decision. And that's why they call him John the... He wasn't a Baptist church guy. He just baptized people. Sorry, all you Baptists. But that's, I know, I know that's where you kind of get some of that. So anyway, don't get me off course here okay so he's baptizing people and so what happened is everybody's flocking around and here's here's what would happen so go to uh verse seven and this is what's funny about John too I love this guy because not only would he tell the truth and he was confrontational and disruptive but he also uh challenged the religious institution of the day and I think it's just so awesome. So the religious leaders start coming around and check this thing out. There's a movement happening, and they're there to, I'm sure, critique it, judge it, and tell everybody how it was wrong. And here's what happens in verse 7 of Matthew 3. It says, But when John, when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, that's the religious leaders, when he saw them coming to watch him baptized, he denounced them. And he says, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Isn't that guy, Jesus, like in your face? So here's what happens real quick. John, he's preaching this message of repentance, and he begins this relationship with a guy named Herod. Everybody say Herod. Herod was like a ruler of that area. And probably he enjoyed listening to John, Scripture says. I don't know why. He never does, the Bible doesn't tell us he ever really turned his life toward God but he enjoyed hearing what he had to say. Well, Herod marries his sister-in-law, Herodias. And John confronts him on it. And he says, hey, dude, that's illegal, and it's immoral, and it's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. So Herodias, Herod's wife, 
gets mad and talks Herod into throwing John in jail. So John's in jail, and Herod throws a party. And he has all these people there, and he's drank so much, he probably turned the keys over to someone else to be the designated driver for the night. And he says, I got an idea. I'm going to call in my daughter, who used to be his niece, who's now his daughter-in-law. These are the days of our lives, right? Kind of soap opera thing going on. And he calls her in to dance. And she dances before everybody, and he's so pleased, he says to her, I will give you anything up to half my kingdom. And so his daughter-in-law is in the moment, I'm wondering if she's going, man, what do I do? My mom's plan is working so quickly. I don't know what to say. She goes to her mom and says, what should I ask for? And Herodias says, I want you to ask for the head of John the Baptist. And as if she's trying to make dramatic flair, she says, and have him bring it to you on a platter. I mean, imagine that. The Thanksgiving platter has the head of John the Baptist. Gruesome. So Herod reluctantly complies to her request and they cut off his head. So here he is, John the Baptist. His purpose in life is to prepare the way for Jesus. He's living the life God called him to live. He's making a difference in the world. He's a truth teller. He's the prophet of God. His ministry is exploding. Lives are being transformed. Gets his head cut off. I just want to encourage you today. If you step out and do what God called you to do, I'm not saying you're going to get your head cut off, but I guarantee you there will be challenges. Guarantee it. Everybody say, all right, there will be challenges. John, that was kind of half-hearted, but that's all right. Scott, you didn't see this. That was an ugly moment for us, but all right. So, so So here's the question I'm throwing out at you for this whole conversation. What do you do when doing what's right, when doing what God called you to do, what do you do when doing what's right goes wrong? How do you respond? What do you do in my situation? I can tell you story after story. What do you do when, um, man, when, you, when you're a camp counselor with 10, 11-year-old boys and you got them for four days, 24-7, and none of them want to be there and none of them listen to what you have to say? What do you do when doing what's right goes wrong? What do you do when you're trying to help some families have a a better Christmas and you're trying to empower some parents to provide a better Christmas for their kids and you get a whole bunch of gifts for them and they come by the hundreds and you start giving them some, some Christmas gifts to give to their kids with their name written on it, trying to help, and they all start screaming at you and yelling at you that it's not good enough What do you do when doing what's right goes wrong? What do you do when you're investing your life into a young man who's living in a community full of drugs and violence and he's a fatherless young man and you're pouring your heart and your life and your resources into this young man as Shelly and I were, and in one moment having a conversation with his mother who's in a drunken stupor, doesn't understand what's, what, what you're trying to do, and screams in your face and spits in your face. What do you do when doing what's right goes wrong? What do you do when you step out to make a difference and it looks like you're failing? Here's one. Here's your first action step. You go to Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. If you have a Bible, open it up or go there. You go to Proverbs chapter 19 
if you have a paper Bible, you cut it out with scissors and you duct tape it to your refrigerator. Or you copy and paste it and put it on your screensaver. You do whatever you can because here's what Proverbs 19.21 says. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. When things don't go according to plan, it's good to know you are only part of the plan. You're only part of the plan. 2005, the summer of 2005, my friend uh, Chris Spradlin and I were standing 2,300 feet above sea level on top of South Mountain right here in Phoenix. And our church, based in Oklahoma City, uh, we had four locations. And we were going to do what, what we understood had never been done before. We're going to launch not just one, but two simultaneous, simultaneously launch two brand new locations a thousand miles away from home. And we're going to broadcast the message much like we're doing right now in Santan and in Scottsdale. This is in 2005. And, we're gonna, and it, was, it was innovative. It was disruptive. It was expensive. And we're standing on top of South Mountain here in Phoenix, Arizona. And there's a, there's a broadcast truck a satellite broadcast truck, the camera's rolling, we're standing on top of South Mountain, got a little earpiece in, we can hear what's going on in Oklahoma City, and then we hadn't told the church where we were going to launch new location, or locations, plural, and so we did this video, like, you know, this dramatic roll in the video, and all of a sudden, everybody's applauding, because on the screen, it came Phoenix, Arizona, and everybody's like, yeah, and we were so excited. We're like, man, we're going to build a great church. We're going to build two at the same time in Phoenix. That became three of some of the toughest years of my life. We made so many mistakes as a church, made so many wrong assumptions. I made so many mistakes as a leader. Ultimately, was repositioned, removed from my post, much to my relief. And it wasn't long after that it just folded. The first location folded in 30 days after spending $3 million. The second location lasted about three, a little about three and a half, four years. That was my first, what I thought was my first taste of failure in ministry. It was a hard pill to swallow. But you want to know what happens when you think it's failure? It's God moving the ball forward. Because we wanted to build a great church, but guess what God wanted to build? His church. And he wanted to build the kingdom. Out of that, what looked like failure, that church learned so much about doing church in different locations they now have 25 locations around the country and they're the biggest church in America. And some of that, I would say much of that learning came right here in your backyard. There are now over 8,000 churches in America that have more than one location. That church I just talked about was a model and is a model of how to do that. What happened in Phoenix has in some ways, and I think in a big way, influenced how to do this all across the country. We thought we failed miserably. God was just letting us all learn how do we do this better. A good friend of mine who moved to Phoenix with us to help us start that thing was part of our team. His name is Brian Kruckenberg. And he, after that, went and started his own church in central Phoenix called New City Church. And it's exploding. Almost 2,000 people on a weekend in central Phoenix filled with young professionals. God's building his kingdom even when it looks like we're failing. 
So what do you do when you want to make a difference and it looks like you're failing? You just know that you're only part of the plan. Only part of the plan. God's always at work on the big picture. Everybody say this. Say, I'm not. I'm only. So we learn from John the Baptist. Not only are we just part of the plan, but we learn our role in God's scheme of things. Go back to your Bible and check this out. It's in, uh, what is it, John chapter 3. And it, uh, what's happening here is Jesus is now on the scene. John baptizes Jesus. Jesus' earthly ministry is taken off. People are leaving John's camp and following Jesus. And people that are staying with John are concerned. The back door of the church is bigger than the front door and everybody's leaving. What are we going to do? And so John replies, and here's what he says in John chapter 3, verse 27. He says, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. Go down to verse 30, check it out. And then he continues, he says, speaking of Jesus, he must become greater and greater, I must become less and less. Say this, I'm not the Savior. I'm only the servant. Don't ever forget it. If you're going to make a difference in this world, don't ever forget you are not the Savior. You're only the servant. God's always at work. He is in control of what he's doing in this world. You are not him. You're only the servant. What do you do when things don't go according to plan? You're charging hell with a water pistol. What do you do? Well, you just know I'm only part of the plan. God's always moving the ball forward. And I remind myself, I am not the Savior. I am only the servant. Santan, you guys, when you get out there at 7.30 in the morning and you set up doing portable church, I've done it now for five years in California because you can't buy a building in California, people, unless you're loaded. And you're out there working your butt off in Santan and you're tired, you just remember, you're not the Savior. God has you there for a purpose, but you are the servant. I'm only the servant to what God's doing. When someone comes up to you and you make coffee at any of the locations, that coffee's too strong. That coffee's not strong enough. I like a darker roast. That coffee's too hot. You know, your coffee's kind of lukewarm. What do you say? Just say, I'm not the Savior. I'm only the servant. Shut up and drink your coffee, man. It's free. Right? When you step out and say, God, I want to start making a difference in many areas of my life, and part of it is I want, to, I want to be involved at Cornerstone, and I'm a flaming introvert, but I'm going to step out, and I'm going to be a greeter at the front door. And against everything in you, you are, you are bubbly and smiling and welcoming people, and, in, and you're welcoming someone, and in comes Mr. Baptized in Pickle Juice. And he says he completely ignores you. You're not the Savior. You're only the servant. Keep it up. Keep doing it. Keep serving. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Bible drill. If you can turn there, do, do it real fast. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Here's what it says. It's like the Apostle Paul is, is uh, um, inspired by the Spirit of God. He writes the book of 1 Corinthians. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, the crucifixion, new life in Christ, all this stuff. And it, it's like it comes to a crescendo in verse, uh, chapter 15. And in verse 58, here's what he says. 
Paul writes to those who are followers of Jesus. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong. Be strong. And then he continues. And immovable. Be strong. Be immovable. When you step out and you try to make a difference in the world because God's called you to do it and it doesn't go according to plan, be immovable because you know you're only part of the plan. You're only part of the plan. And then he goes on. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. You want to know why we like to have fun and we have joy on purpose at Cornerstone, even when bad things are happening? Because Jesus is the Son of God and God is good and we got something to celebrate even when things are going wrong because God's going to use us to make a difference. He says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Ever useless. You know what that says to me? Everything you do for the Lord is useful. So what do you do when doing what's right goes wrong? Simple. You keep doing what's right, and you keep on going, and you do it again, and you get back up, and you do it again, and you learn, and you learn, and you do it again. I'll wrap it up with this. Um, every single one of us are here, in, in my opinion, and I'm confident in this. We're sitting in Scottsdale, in Santan, maybe you're with us online, we're here in Chandler, you're sitting in the overflow room. We are here because we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. The people that have gone before us did this stuff. They were steadfast. They were immovable. When things didn't go according to plan and it looked like they were falling on their face and failing, they had to remind themselves, God is good all the time and we're only part of the plan. And I'm not the Savior. I'm only the servant. They were immovable and steadfast. Cornerstone Church is here because of the people who invested in the life of Pastor Lynn. He stands on the shoulders of those who've gone before him, as does everyone here on this team and part of this church. So my question is, before we pray, is those that are in the future, whose shoulders are they going to stand on? The only shoulders they will stand on are those of us who choose to be immovable, to be steadfast, to realize we are just part of the plan. We cannot save the world. That's the role of Jesus. But let's stick with it, guys. The next 20 years of Cornerstone, the next 20 years of Christ Church of the Valley, the next 20 years of New City Church, the next 20 years of Central Christian, the next 20 years of Redemption Church, and on and on and on and on are going to be stronger than ever when its people stay immovable and steadfast. There's a bunch of you here today, I believe, that you, this is going to push you off the ledge into some action. Okay, God, I'm ready. I want to make a difference. I'm going to get after it. I think some of you are here and you were thinking about retiring from making a difference. There is no retirement. There's no Social Security for making a difference. you got to keep going. Let's do this thing. Are you guys with me? Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, today we, uh, we, just, we stand here humble in, in humility, God, realizing you've chosen every single one of us to make a difference in this world. Show us what that is. And God, I pray that, that we would see your goodness as we step out and we face challenges, that we would remind ourselves that you're good even when things 
can look bad, we know that you are for us and not against us. God, we thank you that you're reminding us that uh, our role is simply to be the servant. We're not the Savior. Your plan always prevails, God. So we pray that you would continue to do great work in our lives, through this church, in, in this city, and around the world, through your church, God. And we thank you that we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.